Hello. Great to see you. Great to see you. I want to give a special welcome to our Hayward campus. Hey, we are one church in two locations. Come on, family. Let's say hello to everybody at Hayward. Let's say hello to everybody here. Good to see you today. It's such an honor to bring the message to both campuses this weekend. As many of you know, I'm normally up in the Hayward campus, so it's good to see you. It's been a long time since I've actually got to see the 10 o'clock. Normally, I'm up there if I'm talking to the 10 o'clock crowd, so it's really, really good to see you today. And um, as Pastor Dwayne said, we are uh, in the middle, if you will, of a three-part, four-part series on tough questions. Next week, can you believe it's already Mother's Day next week? So next week is a very special tough questions message presented to you by some moms, and we're really, really excited about that. So today I'm going to talk to you about kind of the top three categories that we had on what these questions were, and I've got some in my hand, but this is, this is like the third of the questions that were given to us today, and it was all about how I overcome fear, what, what fear is doing to me and how it's guiding my life, and so many today are living in fear. As a matter of fact, you probably realize this, we live in a culture of fear. It's just kind of everywhere, especially in our world today. Matter of fact, one of the statements that our family pastor makes often that I've heard, uh, Mike Mason, he says, you know, today in parenting especially, uh, parents have made safety, not that we shouldn't be safe, but we've kind of crossed that line. We've made safety an idol because it's just we live in such a culture of fear. We don't want to take our babies anywhere. We don't want to do anything. We don't want to go out. And so I, I can remember when, when I was a kid, we didn't ever lock our doors when we, now I grew up in the South, so it was a little bit different, but how many of you can remember not locking your doors growing up? Matter of fact, we would go about 30 minutes away to a relative's house. We did not lock the door, but we'd kind of argue in the car who shut the door. I mean, we, we would leave the door wide open and not even fear, not even have that fear. Those days are gone, aren't they? Those days are gone. Now you don't get out of your car without locking it, making sure it's locked. You got sirens on it. You got bells and whistles on it. And that's your car, much less your house. So many questions came in dealing with fear that they actually sound like prayer requests. Let me just read a couple to you that I have in my hand. Here's one. What is my purpose in God's eyes? And if I know my purpose, will I have the courage to actually live that purpose out? Well, I had the courage to live that purpose out. I believe in, in, I believe in God. I believe in the word. But sometimes I'm weak and I grow tired and I'm fearful to walk out what God says. Why am I always so scared to do this? Listen to this one. This one's kind of, this one kind of put it on that I'm going to talk about this. This is where this message came from. When, when did doubting God and living in fear become normal? When did doubting God and living in fear become normal? I, I can't answer that question, but I'm going to try to answer it through the word today. Um, so before we go any further, let's talk about some disclaimers. We've talked about that. This is the third week of the disclaimers. No, number one disclaimer is that everything that I answer today, I'm going to do it specifically tr with every regard that I can using the Bible, because we believe here at Crossroads that the Bible is the foundational truth of everything. Amen? We believe that. So I'm going to use the Bible as that source of truth. Secondly, if, if the Bible doesn't actually say something about it, because the Bible doesn't say about, you know, everything about everything specifically. Like in the Western culture, we 
date people. Well, the Bible doesn't have the word dating in there. Should you date? Should you not date? So in order to get the answer to some of those gray areas, we have to use biblical principles, not just what the Bible says, but the principles that come from the Bible, such as the Bible is our light and our guide to every path that we walk down. So we want to use biblical principles. And then the last disclaimer is, no matter what, even if you think I'm wrong in answering some of these questions, which you have the prerogative to do so, we're going to do it in love. Amen? We're going to do it in love because that's what we're all about. We're going to do it in love. Let's jump in. If you have your note sheets in your um, program that you were given, go ahead and pull those out if you haven't done so already. And I want to give you maybe probably one of the most famous verses in regards to fear in all the Bible. If you remember, uh, and some of you are on different journeys, but if you remember, this guy named Joshua took over from a pretty famous guy. His name was Moses. How many of you have heard of Moses before? Raise your hand. So Joshua took over from Moses. And Moses, that's some pretty big shoes to fill. So he was obviously pretty freaked out. And God understood that. And so God spoke to Joshua several times about his fear about him not having the courage to go on and move all these whiners, or should I say Israelites, to the promised land because they were just whining all the time. They were fearful all the time because they'd been slavery for 400 years. And so God spoke to Joshua about this. Here's what he said in Joshua 1.9 in your notes. Have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Did you know that this is a command and it's the most common command in the entire Bible to not fear? Not fear is there. So I have not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Would you underline that? Wherever you go. And that's most commonly translated as whatever you go through, people, God is with you. It's a promise of the Bible. Wherever you go, whatever you go through, I'm with you. But now, come on, let's get real. How many of you have felt at least once in your lifetime that God is not with you? Come on, everybody raise your hand because I've felt that before. But yet, this is a promise. And, and since we raise our hands, we can all say this verse is easier to quote than to do, <laughs> isn't it? It's a lot easier to quote. It's a great verse, powerful verse, but a lot easier. Why? Because there are a lot of situations in life that life can dish out at us that strip our courage from us, and we're actually walking in fear. We're actually walking in discouragement. We're actually walking in terror. We're not sure what's going to happen, especially if you're in here today, and you just got some pretty rough news from a doctor that you didn't think you would ever get, and it's like, hey, we don't know what to do about this. That freaks you out in the natural, doesn't it? And it's very difficult to recall at that one moment that God is with you. Very difficult to recall in that situation. Or you get a phone call from your children, or you don't know where your children... There are so many situations in life, come on, church, are you with me, that can really strip you of your courage. And then we begin to think, God's not with us. God's not with me. God's abandoned me. God's abandoned me. Where is God at? Even though he's promised you over and over and over that he'll be with you. He's promised you that he'll never leave you. He's promised you that he's not going to forsake you. These are promises of God. But when life hits you, you don't hear those promises. You don't see those promises. You don't know where those promises are. And so I just want to share one of the things that I've struggled with before we really get into the meat of this message. When I was 13 years old, my best friend, and he was not just my best friend, he was my next door neighbor. I mean, we had like neighborhood friends, but this guy 
we were arm in arm, Tim Eiler and myself. At 13, we were at school one day, and we, were, uh, we, we played ball and all that, but we were just shooting the basketball at school, and the principal came out and looked at Tim in the eye and said, you need to come to my office. And so when the principal says you need to come to my office, you grab somebody else to go with you. He grabbed me, because you don't know what's going on when the principal says, uh, you're like, what did we do? <laughs> I don't know. What did you do? I don't know. I didn't do anything. And you're going, I'll go with you, but you did it. And you're having this conversation, and, and, and then when we get into his office, we saw that his mom was there, his brother was there, and I knew, oh, this isn't something that we did. I mean, it was just one of those moments at 13 years old, 14 years old, something bad has happened. Well, his father had just been killed in an accident. And that, that just kind of took the wind out of me as a 13-year-old. From that moment, and I didn't realize that it really, that the struggle that I was going to deal with all of my life from that one incident and, and from that moment, every time my dad left the house, I would drill my dad. Where are you going? When are you coming back? My dad traveled for work, and I'm like, where, where are you going to be at when you get there? And this was back in the day, when, and, and like I'm really old back in the day. You know, um, we didn't have cell phones. How many of you remember those days? And I, didn't, I couldn't get a hold of my dad. I didn't know where he was. I couldn't look at track finder or phone finder or wherever he was. He just, I didn't believe him. But I had this fear that gripped me that my dad wasn't coming home. And I was going to be raised without a dad also. Man, it just took over my life. And then it just kept going. And when I became a father, I stopped taking risks. I, had, we, I was kind of a killjoy in my family because I didn't want my kids to grow up without a dad. And my wife was always telling me, come on, let's go have fun. No, we're not going to have that much fun. Because <laughs> I might, I did, whatever. I mean, it stopped me from a lot of stuff, guys. It just took over my life. And, and then I became a grandfather, and I'm like the same way. And it, and it got to this point. Even as a kid, I choked on a piece of candy one time. It, it probably happened to all of us. And that just took me out. And now I won't give kids hard candy without looking at their mom and say, bite that in half. Because it's just... Listen, fear can do something to you. It, listen, fear doesn't play around. And, and it, when some of us sitting in this room today, we know that. And because we've got these little, innuos, these little innuendos going on all over the place in our life that's stopping us from living because of this fear. So I want us to look at a great story in the Bible that I think we can all relate to. I, I know we can. And it's by a guy named Gideon. And so look at your notes with me, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. How many of you know Oprah was in the Bible? <laughs> She's everywhere. No, Oprah. Okay, say it with me, Oprah. Let's not give Oprah the Bible credit. No, no, no. Belonged to Joash, the Abazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat. I want you to notice he was threshing wheat in a wine press. A wine press is a pit in the ground to keep it from the Midianites. The Midianites were their enemy. That's an unnatural thing to do. Gideon is dealing with fear in a way that I think all of us can relate. He's hiding in a hole. And I want you to understand this. He's hiding in a hole. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. The mission of fear has gripped Gideon because the enemy has surrounded him. And so now he's doing something that's not natural. He's threshing wheat in a wine press when you should be out in a field when you thresh wheat so the wind can get it and separate the grain and the wheat from all the other trash or on top of a hill. And he's in a pit in the ground. Are you with me? 
He's, it's unnatural. You need open space to do this. But the mission of fear has gripped him. Now, before I give you the definition of the mission of fear, I want to tell you what fear is. Because fear is not a situation. Fear is a spirit. It's a spirit that comes upon you. And, and remember Timothy? Paul spoke to this. He said, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of sound mind. And fear will grip you. Fear will, has a mission on your life. And some of you, he, he's doing this. What is the mission? The mission of fear is to consume you. It's to consume you so that you will be paralyzed from your purpose. And that's why so many people are struggling with their purpose. So many people are just going to work every day, and that's not your purpose. Your purpose is a lot greater, and it's more God-focused than just going to work and making money and paying bills. That is not your purpose. But when fear knocks on your door and the mission of fear grips you, it consumes your life and in, in every part of your life in order to paralyze you from your purpose. And as I said, I, you need to hear this, fear doesn't play around. It will wreck your entire life. It will ruin you. And that's what I love about Crossroads, because this is the reason we exist. This is the reason this church exists. I want to remind you of our mission statement. It, it, it's going to pop up on the screen, that we should, that we should love people. We're here to exist. We should love God, love people, and live life on, said out loud, both campuses, come on, purpose. We want to live life on purpose. However, when, when your life is consumed with fear, and this is going to hit home to a lot of you, when your life is consumed with fear, and I'm going to, I'm going to really drill down on this, so some of you are going, I'm not scared, I can turn the lights off. No, no, I'm not talking about all that. When your life is consumed with fear, it cannot be filled with God. It cannot be filled with God. Some of you are begging, God, fill me, God, fill me, but you won't get rid of your fear. You won't get rid of your fear. It cannot be filled with God. So let's keep going. Let's watch this. Judges chapter 6 in your notes. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. The angel shows up to Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, where was Gideon? In a pit. Hiding from the enemy. And God speaks, listen to me, a statement of faith. God speaks a statement of faith. You need to really grab a hold of this. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, if God said that to many of us in this room, we would do the same thing Gideon did. Who are you talking to? Mighty warrior? Do you see who I am? <laughs> you see where I'm at? In other words, what God is saying is, I see where you are in a pit, but I know who you are. And I'm going to bring that to the surface. That's what God wants to say to you today. Are you with me? I see where you are, but I also know who you are. I know what I breathed in you when I created you. I know what I spoke into your heart, and fear is consumed, and all of this stuff has happened. It's paralyzed you from your purpose. I know who you are as well as where you are. But Gideon replied, well, if the Lord is with us, because he, he punched back at the Lord's witness. Why has all this happened? How many of you have ever asked the word why to God? Come on. Why is this happening to me? 
Why is this happening to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now, he says, the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the land of Midian. I think Gideon said that with an attitude. Because here, when the angel speaks, Gideon hits back immediately with an attitude. Well, why is this happening? Why am I in a pit then? If I'm such a mighty warrior, where's God at? And there's there's this attitude coming out because the first reflex of of fear, write it in your blank, is anger. It's anger. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. You ever lost your kid in a store? Or a mall or whatever? I had that happen to me. My child, my little girl was only like four years old. And I'm like, where's she at? You turn around and your heart comes out of your mouth. I mean, you're just, and I didn't care who, who, I didn't care who I was embarrassing. I'm yelling her name out loud, 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 loud. I mean, you know, just going frantic in this store and to the point where people know that I'm, I, I, they're helping me. And I'm telling her, this is what she looks like. This is where she is. And we got people all over the store looking for my daughter. And then we, we hear somebody laughing. <laughs> my daughter is, you know, with the clothes around this little circle. She's inside of that thing hiding from me. So the first thing I do when I find her is I grab her and I hug her and say, oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then I look at her and say, if you ever, I get angry. How many of you with me on that? I mean, you're so grateful, but then you get angry. Fear produces anger if you don't deal with it. If you don't deal with it. Have you ever been out on 880? (laughs) I am fearful for my life, and I get angry at people. I mean, I'm from the South. I'm not used to traffic like that. It's like, oh, my God, get out of my way, you know. I'm just crazy with that kind of stuff. Too often, we are expressing an anger from a deep fear that we just can't let go of. And I made that funny, but it's too often we express anger from a deep fear we can't let go of. We get angry at people because we're afraid that we're going to be abandoned. Because that's part of us. Are you with me, church? Too often. I mean, look at our world right now. Look at our world right now. I don't think in my lifetime the world has ever been more angry. Why? Because we've never been more fearful. Fear of what might happen. Fear of what could happen. And we're not believing God. We're believing politicians. And I think that's crazy. And it's just a spirit of fear coming all over us. And God's already said, I got this. <laughs> I got this. But we're letting anger rise out of our fear. Let's, get this, let's keep this conversation going get in between God and Gideon. Judges 6, 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Second statement of faith. Am I not sending you? I, but Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I'm the least of my family. And I can hear God almost say, this is not in the scripture, but I can hear God almost say, Who cares? I'm sending you, and when I send you, you don't need anybody else, and you can be the weakest of the weak because you have me. But we don't believe that. See, Gideon didn't believe that. Because this this is another huge response of fear. Are you ready to write? Insecurity. Insecurity. God gives Gideon another statement of faith. I'm sending you. And Gideon throws a pity party. Who, me? I, I can't do that. It's kind of like when we ask people around here to be leaders. Me? I can't do that. No way. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not, I can't do that. Uh-uh, no way. I mean, 
Don't ask me. If, if I were to come down there even right now, you know the number one fear in the world, you know what it is? Fear of public speaking. The number two fear in the world is fear of death. We would rather die than come up on this stage and speak. It just doesn't make sense to me. And some of you are going, that's right, I would. I don't want to come up there. If I were to come out to you right now and say, hey, come up here, you would break out in cold sweats, most of you. But here's what you, here's what you would really say if I said, hey, hey, I want to come up and give me your testimony. Let's give everybody your testimony. What's God done for you? What's Jesus done for you? Uh, he's done a lot, but uh, who, me? That's what we, me? I'm nobody. People don't want to hear from me. That fear brings insecurity. What do you mean? God's done all kinds of stuff in you. God's given you victory. You, you start writing them down and you see, but fear brings insecurity. I recently read uh, a study about women. 60 to 70% of every woman, 60 to 70, 70% of every woman says this every day. I am not blank enough. And here's what they fill in the blank with. Pretty, talented, good, attractive, skinny, because we watch the world instead of listening to God. Are you with me, church? we got to start listening to God. What God says about you is a lot more important than what the world says about you. What God says you are is a lot more important than what the world says you are. And we have to listen to God. Men don't deal with that in the way that women do. Men deal with, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? So here's the third part of the conversation. Judges chapter 6, the Lord answered, I will be with you. I will be with you. I mean, it's the third statement of faith. I will be with you. Some of you need to underline that, circle it, highlight, I am with you. We read that in Joshua earlier. And you will strike down all those Midianites, your enemy. Gideon replies, well, if I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you. Give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. I'm going to show you what he's doing. He's switching something here. Please do not go away until I come back. Don't go away until I come back. I want to bring my offering because I need to make sure it's you, and I want to set it before you. And God's like, okay, I ain't going nowhere. I'll wait on you. But you know what the third response of fear is? Control. Control. When fear really sets in, we feel like we have to be in control. And normally this is fueled by something that's happened in our past. A failed relationship, somebody really hurts you, you fear it's going to happen again, so you don't ever trust anybody the deepest way you can. Ever been there? And you actually say out loud, I ain't trusting you anymore. I'm not trusting anybody. This is my heart you're dealing with. Control. Control. See, Gideon had this issue with God, not with people, the same as many of us. You failed us already before. Uh-uh, I need to make sure this is really you. I'm really making sure you're going to do what you say you're going to do. I ain't giving you this control. And many of us have done the same thing. We haven't surrendered everything. That's why, I just got to say it. All right, don't, don't shoot. I'm just going to say it. Um, that's why most people that come to church regularly do not give money. It's mine. I ain't giving this up. I'm not totally surrendering this. And if we do, it's like a dollar or so. It's mine. I'm, gonna, I'm giving this control up. God, you, you can tell me to give 10%, but I'm not doing it because this is mine. Control. Out of fear that you may not have enough to do what you want to do. When God's already blessed you and said he will do what he says he will do. But we have to have control. Am I making any sense, church? 
Yeah. Yeah, you feel like God's abandoned you. See, fear uses anger, fear uses insecurity, fear uses control to hijack your life. And many of us, our life is hijacked, and I'm just kind of giving it to you. I'm showing, I'm exposing it. See, we're living over here in fear. God wants us to live over here in faith, and there's this big wall in between, and we can't seem to climb the wall. We can't seem to get through the wall. Gideon is underground in a pit, and God's calling him to be a warrior. How do I get up above that? How do I do this? Well, God's given us a plan. But before I give you the plan of how to overcome fear, let's go to the hot seat. You ready? Let's go to the hot seat. Well, hello, Crossroads, and welcome to another edition of The Hot Seat. Today we're here with Pastor Paul, and we're going to be asking him some of your tough questions. All let's right. Let's get to it. Let's go. Here's the first one. It says, is it okay to be cremated? Cremation. Okay. Cremation. It's kind of like Kentucky Fried Chicken. How so? You can choose original recipe or extra crispy. Here's the deal. Like, like the Bible tells us very clearly that the dead in Christ shall rise. I'm sure that question is the concern, like if I'm cremated, will I still go to heaven? Now what the Bible clearly tells us in Genesis 3.19 that we came from dust and to dust we shall return. Now, whether you're buried in a box, you're going to turn to dust, or if you're cremated, you're going to turn to dust only faster. Either way, can I tell you, God has the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise us up. Uh, here's another one. It says, will we be married in heaven? Depends on how much you like your spouse. Oh. So, uh, no, all kidding aside, uh, the Bible's really clear on this one. In Matthew 22:30. Jesus made it clear that we will not be married in heaven. Now in heaven, we will be reunited with our loved ones. We'll recognize each other. We'll get to see each other. We'll love each other perfectly, but we won't be married in heaven. So I would like to say to all of us married people, let's make the most of the marriages we have right now. Give it our best now. Here's another question that came to us uh, in a program insert. It says, why are images of Jesus typically depicting uh, a blonde haired, blue eyed person when we know the Bible describes him very differently? Why doesn't Jesus look just like me? <laughs> now, I think the reason for this depiction is instead of hanging on to the truth that God made us in his image, we turn that around and we try to make God in our image. And it doesn't just happen with the Caucasian Christ. It happens, you know, there are depictions of an African-American Jesus, a Chinese Jesus, and even for our Latino friends, there's Jesus. <laughs> so so here's, here's the deal. What we know about Jesus is he is of Middle Eastern descent, Jewish background, born in Bethlehem, and he had dark hair, brown eyes, and dark skin. Okay, so we talked about a lot of different cultures with that last one. Here's another question kind of on that line. With so many religions in the world, why do Christians say that Jesus is the only way? Isn't that narrow-minded and judgmental? Uh, and this person goes on to say that I know a lot of non-Christians who are nicer and kinder than people who would call themselves Christians. Yeah, sadly, that's true. And I just want to say, if you claim to be a Christ follower and you are self-righteous and judgmental and mean-spirited, just stop. Just stop it. The reality, if Jesus is really alive in you, grace should produce grace. Love should produce love. We should be the kindest, most generous, loving people on the planet. 
but uh, this is what I believe about Jesus being the only way. The first reason I believe is because Jesus claimed that he was the only way. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So I believe it because Jesus claimed it. Secondly, Jesus is the only person to conquer death. See, Jesus' resurrection back up his claims that he's the son, like who he said he was. He said, I'm the son of God. If you believe in me, I'll forgive your sins, give you eternal life. And then he backed it up by more than just miracles and healing the blind and feeding the... I mean, this guy came back to life. And if someone does that, I'm going with that guy. <laughs> and then finally, thirdly, Jesus is the only person who has a solution for our sin problem. The truth is God hates sin. He's the perfect judge. And he demands that our sins are paid for. But since God loves us, he paid that price for us by sending Jesus to die in our place. Since Jesus never sinned, he alone is the perfect sacrifice. No other person or religious leader who ever lived, lived a perfect life. Only Jesus is qualified to bring us to God. Now, many other religions have good moral teachings, but they don't offer an answer to our sin problem. That's what Jesus did, and that's why he's the only way. Well, Paul, excellent job on the hot seat today. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here. Uh, the hot seat. Um, uh, next week, I'll celebrate my 39th year of marriage. So I may not be married in heaven, but I've, God's promised me she could be my roommate. So at any rate, um, uh, how do we live without fear? How do we live without fear? That's where we want to go. So I put an acrostic in your notes so you can see that. It's an S-P-O-N-T. Don't try to figure out what it is. Those of you who have control issues, I'll tell you what it is. I promise you. But what you have to do is you have to recognize. You have to recognize. You have to spot the fear. I'm asking you to recognize the fear when it starts coming up, whether it's be insecure, whether it's out of anger, whatever this fear is, you have to recognize it. So the first one is this. S means stand your ground. Stand your ground. Exodus 14, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Now, what were they being afraid of? There's, a, there's an army of Egyptians coming after them. Remember when they're crossing the Red Sea and they're trying to get there and the sea's there and the Egyptians changed their mind, they're coming after them? He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need to underline this whole phrase. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be all campuses still. That's very difficult for us, isn't it? Because we feel like we have to be in control. So we're going all over the place. Be still. Get with God. He's promised he'll fight for you. Every now and then I'm running trails. I'm a little bit of a runner. I've heard that mountain lions are in California. Is that true? I haven't seen one yet, but they tell me if I see one, don't try to run from it. They're faster than you are. Stand still and get large. And that's what God's asking you when you have fear. Stand still and get large with his promises. Are you with me? With his truth. Even though your instinct is to run, stand still. P stands for this. Pray, pray for peace. Paul tells us in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, prayer, what is prayer? Telling God what you really, what's really going on. Tell God what's going on. Well, you say, well, doesn't he know? Yeah, but he needs to hear it from you. 
What's really going on? And then he says, in petition, what's petition? Lord, here's what I'd love for you to do about it. I'm not demanding you. You do it the way you want to, but here's what I'd love for you to do about it. That's petition. And then with thanksgiving, whether it is answered the way you want to or not, but in advance, thank him. So in prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And when you do that, when you do that formula, that's a formula, if you will, when you do that, what does it say? The promise is the peace of God, look at the rest of the verse, which transcends all understanding. You won't understand it, but you'll have peace. <laughs> you'll have peace. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know people that are going through hell, but because they're praying and they're talking to God and they're thanking God, it may not be working out the way they want to, but they have peace about it. They have peace about it. And, and, and so then it takes us to the next one. Oh, object to the lies. Object to the lies. Look, this is the most powerful verse in all the Bible to me, right here. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. I love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 14, I love that. But the answer to Philippians 4, 13 is this verse. We have to demolish. Look to your neighbor and say, you are demolisher today. Come on, say it. You're demolisher. Say it like you mean it. You're demolisher. What are you demolishing? Arguments and lies. Arguments and lies that set themselves up against the knowledge of God in your head. You have to take captive every thought that brings fear to you. When something says you can't do it, you have to say, yes, I can through Christ Jesus. That's what you have to do. You have to make those thoughts obedient to Christ. Fear will punch you in the face. Are you with me? You have to be willing to punch back. You have to punch back with truth. You have to punch back with, no, 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 I'm a king's kid. God's got my back. There's nothing to be afraid of. God's with me. God's with me, and I'm a destroyer, and you destroy it because you're a demolisher. T is trust in God. Trust in God. Psalm 56.3. When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Now, here's what I want you to write next to this verse. This is a choice. I have to choose to do this. Choose. I can't just, by, uh, 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 it's not going to just happen by omnosis. I have to choose to trust God. Whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Nothing. The enemy, listen folks, the enemy, this is what the enemy wants to do. Remember where Gideon was, he's in a wine press, in a pit. The enemy wants to suppress you, keep you down. God wants to use faith to bless you. And bring you up. But it's your choice. The enemy wants to use fear to suppress you. God wants to use faith to bless you. But it's your choice. It's your choice. I want to give you this a little bit different. I want, I, want to, I want to let you see somebody that I think you all know that can relate to this in something that he can describe better than I can. So watch this. And you, you know, you take a drink with your friends and somebody says, yeah, we should go skydiving tomorrow. <laughs> And you go, yeah, we'll go skydiving tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And you go, yeah. And everybody goes, yeah. So then that night you're laying in your bed and you just keep, <laughs> and you're terrified. You keep imagining over and over again jumping out of an airplane and you can't figure out why you would do that. 
So you wake up the next day and you go, you know, down and you say where you were going to meet and everybody's there. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And your stomach is terrible. You can't eat and everything, but you don't want to be the only punk who doesn't jump out of this airplane. So you fly and you go up, you go up, you go up, you go up to 14,000 feet and somebody opens the door. And in that moment, you realize you've never been in a freaking airplane with the door open. And the guy walks you up to the end of the thing and you're standing and your toes are on the edge and you're looking out down to death <laughs> and they say on three and they say one two and he pushes you on two because people grab on three and you go <laughs> and you fall out of the airplane and in one second you realize that it's the most blissful experience of your life. You're flying. There's zero fear. You realize that the point of maximum danger is the point of minimum fear. It's bliss. The lesson for me was, why were you scared in your bed the night before? Why did you, what do you need that fear for? Everything up to the stepping out there's actually no reason to be scared. It only just ruins your day. God placed the best things in life on the other side of terror. On the other side of your maximum fear are all of the best things in life. I told you you could relate to that, couldn't you? <laughs> it's a powerful little statement. You know, chapter 6 in Judges, Gideon's scared and he has this fearful conversation with God. In chapter 7, he wins the war. God gives him 33,000 men, but then God whittles the 33,000 men down to 300 to fight this massive army. Now, Gideon could have, in his fear, been angry that you took all those men away and only gave me 300. God, why'd you do that? He could have. He could have been insecure and said, I ain't no way I can win with 300 people. But he didn't. You know what he did? He gave God control, and they wiped the enemy out. That's what you have to do. You have to lose control, give it to God. Why? Because it, it's a fight. It's a fight you have to fight every single day of your life that you face. You have to choose. You have to choose this fight because our purpose, our purpose, as you heard the theologian Will Smith say, <laughs> our purpose is always on the other side of fear always I'm asking you today are you willing to get to that are you willing to run through that wall of fear whether it's leading going into a small group many of you are not in a life group because it's fearful to walk into a room of people you don't know and then to talk about things they don't want to talk about it's very vulnerable but your purpose is on the other side of that in community and connection your purpose is there. Your purpose is on the other side of the very thing that terrifies you. And it's okay to ask God questions about it. Just don't stop asking. Would you close your eyes with me all across this place? I want to pray for you. Before we transition into our offering, I, I want to pray for you. It's our time of giving. You can prepare for that, get your communication card and all that. But I, I just want to, I want to pray for you specifically right now. If you're, if you're struggling with 
with control or anger, insecurity, and you know that the root of that is fear, and you're ready to let go, you're ready to get on the other side because you really want to know your purpose, I just want you to be bold and courageous enough right now, all eyes closed, just to raise your hand and say, would you pray for me? Cal, I need that. There's just hands going up everywhere. Would you just pray for me? I need, I need to get there. I'm stuck here. I want to get there. You can drop it as soon as you put it up. I just want to pray for you. Father, right now as we prepare to give back to you, I pray that you breathe, Lord, into our soul right now. Breathe courage. Guidance. Lord, I pray that you loosen the grip of control in our lives, that we might give it to you and recognize that you're fighting for us. We don't have to run. We don't have to scream back. We don't have to go away. And we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to pretend that we're somebody when we're not because you know it all and you're guiding us through this. Lord, I pray that you put a spirit of peace on every heart and guard it, guard their soul as they're walking through this journey. Everybody in this room, God, is on a different journey, and I pray that you meet them at that journey. We love you, and and we thank you in advance right now for what you're doing in the lives of people, God. Lord, in some cases, the tears are streaming down faces, and Lord, it's because you're working to get them on the other side of their fear, and I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a hand clap? Come on. Come on, church. Let's give it to God. We love you, Jesus.